Well, I'm going to say it's just happy Mother's Day to my wife. I have already, don't worry. It's not like this is the first time. But my, my amazingly beautiful, awesome, stupendous hot wife um, for my, uh, gave me the gift of our, of our three kids. Um, and I'm, I'm blessed by each and every one of them. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's, it's true. We all have moms, right? So today's like a good day. It's, it's funny to joke, you know, around our house that like Mother's Day is a season and Father's Day can be forgotten. It's all right. Because <laughs> come on, we all have. And uh, I was thinking about this uh, today. Actually, I, I come from a a blended family. I guess is what you would call it—a mixed family. Um, my parents are still together, um, but my dad was married once before, and so I have a, a mixed group of siblings. It's uh, kind of a, a a rather odd mix of siblings because I have um, I have. My, my dad from his first marriage had a son and a, and a daughter. In my house, we weren't allowed to use words like step or half or anything like that. They were just, that's just your brother and sister, and that's just who they are. And then when my dad married my mom several uh, years later, uh, his ex-wife got remarried as well, and, and they, she had a, another daughter. And um, my, my, my two oldest siblings would kind of bounce back and forth. And then I don't remember really when it started happening, but Jamie, my he used to say she was my sister's sister, but not my sister, just to confuse people. Um, she started kind of coming too. I don't really, I didn't really understand why at the time, but she just started kind of coming whenever they would come. And so, uh, in our house, ultimately, uh, you know, my dad was raised Irish Catholic, so uh, there's five boys and two girls, and uh, we had a, a big, a big family. And I was thinking about kind of my mom, and yes, don't worry, I already texted my mom today and told her Happy Mother's Day, um, and. Uh, I was thinking about her this, this week and specifically this morning, and I, I think the text that we're going to read this morning really kind of summed up my mom's heart in a lot of ways. Because I don't know how many kind of kids you've ever been around at one time, but having five boys and two girls under one roof, uh, we never had more than a three-bedroom house. So that many of us all crammed into one small space. At one point, we lived in a two-bedroom apartment, all of us. Um, I don't know kind of what theological term to use for that kind of a scenario, but the best one I can come up with is anarchy. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, you know, we now have three kids. Our church is blessed with lots of young kids, and so when we have community groups or, or kind of barbecues and stuff, when you have that many kids under one roof, it's a weird experience as a parent, isn't it? Because you spend most of your time telling them to be quiet, but then if they're ever too quiet, you worry you're going to start smelling smoke, right? You know, like something obviously isn't right. And, and I think my mom's push... More than anything, the thing I heard more than anything else growing up from my mom when it came to kind of the atmosphere and environment of her house, my mom was a realist. So she was just, her big thing was just get along. Okay? I don't care if you love each other, just get along. Like peace. That was like her goal in the home. She never got it, I don't even think. Because uh, when, when my, my siblings all, we kind of all grew up and moved out, my parents started to take borders. They started to take in people. Because my mom's just a herder of people. So um, they had Indians baseball players living with them. Even when they only had one child left of the house, they still had a full house. So, uh, but, but really, this whole idea of my mom's kind of heart of peace is really kind of where uh, our text really kind of springs out of uh, today. If you have your Bibles or a Bible application on your phone or tablet, uh, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. Uh, we use the new, or rather the, uh, the uh, English Standard Version here at Sozo, so if you can switch in your tablet to that. If not, don't worry, it's still the Bible. Um, for those of you visiting with us, um, we're on a campaign, we're calling it a campaign because it's taking so long, um, through the book of Ephesians. Uh, our goal is not speed, our goal is depth, we're really digging into this, and uh, how many Sozoians, Sozoites, Sozoers, 
I don't know. How many of you are getting blessed by this? You're enjoying it? You're getting challenged? Amen? Um, so we're having fun. We just reached the halfway mark at week 15. <laughs> Yay! Uh, we're taking our time. We've been through three chapters. We have three chapters to go. Here's the good news. Uh, those are the quick chapters. So uh, it's been enjoyable. I've been having fun if nobody else has. So um, we're, we're halfway through and we're going to be reading Ephesians 4 and making our way from hopefully from verse 1 through 7. Uh, don't worry though if you've got brunch plans. Uh, if you'll listen fast, I'll talk fast and we'll get through this quickly. Uh, but before we do that, let's pray together and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. God, we thank you today for the fact that you have chosen to speak to us through your word. God, we're humbled and we're honored that you have invested in us the ability to not only read your word, but God, in this country to carry it around. God, I'm, I'm, I am humbled and I can even say shamed by the fact that there is so much scripture, so much written word available to us. God, and, and, and I am humbled by the fact that I know I don't take advantage of it the way that I should. But God, I come to you today as we prepare to open up your word and to read it. We ask that we would not simply be just going through a religious exercise. We wouldn't just be reading some uh, words and allowing them to pass by us. But God, we would stop and that we would hear your word as we read your word. And that God, even as the word is open to us and explained and exhorted, God, we would hear the voice within a voice, as it were, that God, I come to you and ask that you would speak through me this morning, that we might hear from you. God, we want to hear your word, so we ask that you speak, we ask that you give us ears to hear, and God, we also ask above all these things that you give us feet to walk it out, that we might be different when we leave here, being doers of the word and not hearers only. We don't want to come and just check off a box and say, I went to church on Mother's Day and move on and just pass along, but God, we want to stop and pause and hear you speak, and be obedient to what you say, and be changed by it, thus receiving the benefit of it. But let us be doers of your word, and not hearers only. And bless all the moms in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. I love the way that Paul starts with that. I just have to stuff on my nose. I'm not supposed to go here soon on time, but I just love it. You can always tell when Paul's about to challenge, exhort, or correct you when you're reading it because he reminds you that, like, I'm in prison. I have enough problems. Don't give me any lip. I have enough, okay? Just hush and listen to me. Since I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You need a title for today's message. The mystery, we're looking at the mysteries inside the book of Ephesians, the things that were once hidden that God opens up to us in this book. The mystery that we're looking at today is the mystery of calling and unity. Uh, this word therefore is kind of a shifting word used here in this passage where Paul here is telling us, look, we've covered a lot of stuff and now we're going to move on to something else. The first three chapters really hammered into us the fact that God saves us, He sanctifies us, and He calls us to serve and now Paul is going to make a broad shift. We talked last week about the fact that Paul here in these next chapters is going to shift from your individual faith to our corporate faith, to the experience that we all share together as the body of Christ. Paul here is saying that he's shifting and he, he urges us, he exhorts us. And I want to kind of chew backwards through this uh, verse if I could real quick. It says that he urges us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Please don't miss what he just said. You are called. Good place for Christians to say amen. 
You're called, okay? God has called you. You know, we, we might think in our culture that calling is just something, to be called by God is just something that somebody that, you know, weirdos that stand up here and talk about the Bible or that weird guy that stands at sporting events and holds up the sign and wears the multicolored hair and, you know, our calling is for, for if you, you were raised like me in more of a liturgical movement in the church, you know, you think of calling as somebody who goes off and lives in a monastery or the modern monasteries or prayer centers and, and that's kind of the calling, but don't mistake the fact that you're called. So I don't feel called at all. I don't, I don't, that's not really anything I've ever really thought about. Well, the fact of the matter is if you're saved, you're called. Come on, somebody. If you have experienced the redemptive work of Christ in your life, if you have been converted, regenerated, the scriptures tell us that means you're called. Now, this isn't just a general call. This is a very pointed, specific call. It literally, the word called here in the Greek means that He spoke your name. We have a great picture of this in the retelling of the events that transpired around the life of a guy named Lazarus. You've been around church, you might be familiar with that, but this is a, a word. His name has kind of become synonymous even in culture with the raising of the dead. The story is in John 11. We find out that Jesus finds out that His friend Lazarus Yes, Jesus has friends. Uh, his friend Lazarus is sick. And so, of course, God being so concerned with our comfort uh, rushes to go help him. Now, he actually waits, the Bible says, until he's dead. There's a whole sermon in here that I've preached before here, and I'm going to avoid it as best as I can uh, so we can stay on this one. Uh, he waits until Lazarus dies, goes, everybody freaking out, weeping, crying, wailing. The famous shortest verse in the Bible is in this chapter. Jesus goes and weeps himself and then stands in front of the tomb, has them move the rock out of the way. The guys freak out, everyone there, because Lazarus has been dead for days. Four days. Not one, not two, not three, not five, but four days. Lazarus has been dead and they're like, dude's going to smell funny. And then he's, don't worry about it, just roll the rock out of the way. He rolls it out of the way, Jesus speaks three words. He says, Lazarus, come Forth. He calls him by name and gives him a command. And literally, at that moment, breath enters into Lazarus's lungs. Electrical impulses begin to fire in both his heart and his mind. Life comes back into his body, and all Lazarus can do is stand up and walk out of the tomb. Come on, somebody. That is one of the greatest pictures we have of salvation. Come on, Jesus comes, he speaks your name, and your dead, lifeless self gets up and goes, I don't know what happened, but he won my affection. Come on. When he wins our affections, he called your name. Don't miss that. He spoke. That means the God of the universe, of all power, authority, and, and ability, stopped everything he was doing, paused for a moment, stepped into time and space to call your name. That's a big deal to me, at least. I don't know about to you. That's a pretty big deal. I mean, we make a big deal like when, you know, one of our friends is on some sort of TV or being interviewed and they give us a shout out, right? It's like a big deal. I got a shout out. Come on. God shouted you out. Come on. He called your name. I don't want us to miss this point. Because we're going somewhere, and if we miss this, that you were saved because God called your, called your name. He spoke your name. That's what saved you. I love people who are like, well, I think I got saved. Really, your dead, lifeless self chose God? Come on, somebody. No. Lazarus, really, you know, it's because he just really had tithes that that's why he was able to come back to life. Lazarus gave zip to the equation, alright? We're really big here about making sure God gets the glory for what God should get the glory for. And I would say in salvation, he gets all the glory, alright? Amen? Paul says earlier, we've already read this, that 
that, that we should boast in nothing. Come on. We have no room to boast. I have no room to, to stick up my chest and say, look at me, I got saved. Okay, the guy who's drowning in the ocean because he decided to go surf off a coast where he shouldn't have been surfing doesn't like brag about the fact that the Coast Guard had to come out and pull his butt out of the water, right? But yet somehow we as Christians walk around with our chest puffed out like we're junior hires, right? Like, look at me. Oh, got saved. Really? He did it. Come on. We should boast. We should boast in him. Amen? You're called. Doesn't matter. That, that should give us hope. Maybe you're here and you're like, you haven't experienced this. This is totally new to you. You're a little upset right now because you just told, were told like, hey, let's go celebrate Mother's Day and they drove you to church. And you're like, what the heck? I'm angry. Don't worry. Brunch is coming. Um, whoever brought you. I'm not buying you brunch. I'm a church planner. Come on, somebody. Um, dreaming of a salary. <laughs> We, we, we need to understand this. Maybe, maybe this is all new to you. I, here's what I want you to hear. Maybe today is your day where God is speaking your name. And like I said earlier, in the voice within a voice, something is happening in your heart. And my only encouragement to you is to allow what's happening to happen. Allow God to move in your heart and don't fight any longer. Because guess what? If He's moving in your heart, you're going to lose. Okay? You will always lose every wrestling match you ever get into with God. Trust me, I've gotten into a lot of them. Part of why I'm here. <laughs> My wife understands that. If you're here and you're already experienced this, maybe you're going, that's a great pastor, that's a great preacher, that's awesome, but you don't even know the situation I'm in right now. Listen to me, God called your name. One word from His mouth brought life to your dead body. What more can His word do in your life now if you simply let Him? Come on. It says that we're called with a calling. This, this honestly blows my mind. I, I love... Actually, this verse, I love it in the King James. It says that we have been given a vocation. We've been given a, we we should walk worthy of the vocation with which we've been called. Vocation, King James word for calling, means that God has given you something to do. Now please hear me, this vocation is not the place that you go and you punch a clock and you get a check and you try to pretend like you're working as long as you can, you know. No, that's not it. Now, please hear me. That's, that's important. That's part of what God's called you to. We don't look down on work here. Work is a good thing. Can I get an amen from all the parents? Come on. Having a job is a good thing. Working is a good thing. Being tired at the end of the day. Men, come on. Being tired at the end of the day is a good thing. How God made us. Be a man. Do it. Get a job. Um, but that, that's part of, of of what God's called you to, but that's not what He's speaking of here. He's not talking about the place that you go and get a paycheck. He's talking about the eternal thing that God gave you as a purpose and a reason to live. God adds honor on top of honor. Honor. First, He he calls your name, brings life to your body, and then He says, hey, you know what? I raised you to life and it wasn't for nothing. But there was a reason why I raised you. There's a purpose I have in mind for you. There's a reason I'm leaving you here breathing. You say, you don't understand what I did last night. You don't understand what, what I've been, what I've done, the things I've committed, the, the mistakes I've made, the, the problems I've had. You, you don't even get this. You don't know. You don't understand. There's no way I have a calling. There's no way God has a purpose left for me with everything I've done. You're right. I don't know any of that about you. But I know this. God does not waste. God does not waste things. God does not waste His resources. And if you're breathing, come on, He's investing the resource of air into your life. So if you're breathing, I know you still have a purpose. Come on. I don't know what that purpose is, but you have one. Now, globally, what's our purpose? Globally, I don't know your 
specific and how God's going to flesh this out and what unique way He's going to bring about this in your life. But ultimately, you were left here on this planet to glorify, magnify, and exalt the very living God. And that is an honor on top of honors. Come on, somebody. What a great honor to serve such a great King. He brought you to life. Come on. And He gave you a reason to live. Come on, I don't know about you, but before I knew Jesus, I really had, other than the satisfaction and experience of pleasure for myself, I had no purpose in life. I had to kind of come up with stuff that, like, maybe I'll do this. But ultimately, I was self-centered, self-focused, and completely and utterly selfish to the point of isolation and loneliness. God came and gave us a purpose amongst the night. Now maybe maybe you're here and you're hearing me say this and you're going, um, dude, I I uh freaking out right now. Well, guess what? It's about to get worse. But here's what he says next. Paul says, because you've been called, you have a calling, and that means there's a an appropriate way you ought to carry yourself. There's an appropriate manner with which you ought to live. Christian, hear me. Character matters. Do we want to hear purpose, purpose, purpose? I have a purpose. That's the easy place to get an amen. As a youth pastor, I knew if I used the word generation, purpose, and revival in a sermon, everyone would love it, right? Yes, you have a purpose. That purpose is important. Yes, you have been called by God by name, and that's important to understand. But we've got to get this, that there is a manner with which we ought to live our lives. Not to get called. Look, you got called when you were dead, okay? This isn't an earning type thing. Like, well, maybe if I'm good enough, God will bring you back to life. Let that roll around in your head for a minute, right? Like Lazarus is laying there dead thinking, maybe, maybe if I smell less, Jesus will raise me from the dead. No. You're, you're worthy. The, the, the way in which you ought to walk has nothing to do with rules. Please hear me. That has everything to do with response. Christ called you, He gave you a calling, and now you ought to respond to that calling in an appropriate manner, in an appropriate fashion. Just boil this down. For all of you who think I'm being, I'm being legalistic right now. If you were given a job of being a scuba diver, you ought to be able to swim, right? That's all we're talking about here, okay? There's an appropriate response. There's an appropriate action you ought to be able to do in order to fulfill your calling. There's an appropriate lifestyle that God has called us to, and we cannot miss this. We can't skip over it. We can't just pretend, well, hey, we, I'm called by God. He called my name and I have a purpose in yay and then go on living our lives in the same manner we used to. There needs to be a pointed, specific change and it needs to be funneled through the fact that you're called. Now again, I, I mentioned this a minute ago, but you might be sitting here going, look, man, I, I didn't even know that I was called before. <laughs> I just didn't want to go to hell, okay? I just, I, hell scared me. I prayed a prayer. Now you're telling me like, I have a job I'm supposed to do and, and I have to live a certain way. I'm struggling just to live the way I am now and be, you know, like not punch people. And now you're telling me there's a manner I ought to live and I feel overwhelmed. And on top of that, I'm alone. I don't know how to do this. I'm confused. I'm, 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 I'm wandering through life isolated and separated and I'm confused. Well, guess what? The good news is, is that we're not preaching religion this morning. We're, pre- we're preaching Jesus. Come on. The gospel. And the gospel is good news, not good advice. What do I mean by that? Good advice is this. Let's say you're in school. You're in school. Good advice would be your teacher to tell you to study, pay attention, and do your homework. Good advice, right? That's great advice. That's wonderful, stupendous advice. All my college students are like, yeah, it's good advice. I mean, <laughs> it's good to do. It's good advice. 
Let's say you, like me, were not the greatest student when you were in school, and so you did not adhere to that advice. Anybody? <laughs> and so, you know, time goes on, your, your, your teacher keeps giving you good advice, you really ought to study and, you know, do your homework and listen in class. You do none of those things. Final exam rolls around, and guess what? You're in bad shape, aren't you? Because you haven't studied, you haven't done your homework, and you haven't listened. Good advice would be to come up to you again and the teacher to go, man, you really should have studied, you really should have listened in class, and you really should have done your homework. That's what religion does. Here's what the gospel does. The teacher would walk up to you. How many would, would prefer this? The teacher would walk up to you, hey, slide over, I'll take the test for you. That's good news. Amen? Come on, if you're sitting in class, you haven't studied, you haven't listened, you haven't done the homework, and the teacher says, I'll take the test for you, that's good news. The gospel is not try harder. The gospel is not do better. The gospel is not you should have studied more. The gospel is he took the test for you. And he passed. Just in case you're wondering. You're like, well, I don't know. <laughs> good news in here is that the, the passage doesn't stop there. Paul's about to encourage us in another way. Verse 2. You walk worthy of the manner with which you've been called, with all humbleness and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Listen to me, if you're here this morning and you're freaking out because, oh my gosh, I didn't even know I had this thing, I, I, I didn't even know I had a calling, I know I'm not walking in the calling, I know I'm not, I don't even feel equipped to, to really walk in that, and I certainly am not walking worthy of someone who's supposed to bring honor and glory to God, here's the news I need you to hear. You ready? You don't have to do it alone. Well, for somebody, that's good news. Because you, you've been trying on your own and you're exhausted. Come on. You've been, you've been isolated and alone and you're worried and you're freaking out. And the good news that Paul here is trying to tell us is this. Look, you were not meant to do this alone. You don't have to be alone. The Gospel is not only an individual experience. It is a corporate experience. It is something meant to draw us together. Come on. We are passionate about the local church here in this, in this local church because we know it is God's it is God's instrument, come on somebody, in equipping and transforming and changing us to be more like Him. Come on, there's one body and we need to be a part of it. You are not meant to do this alone. Come on, first off, you have to hear this. The first thing of the not alone is Jesus, okay? Again, we're not preaching religion here. We're not preaching do this, do that. This is not going to be a message where I give you 47 things that you need to do to walk worthy. Religion would want to do this. Religion would want to go, okay, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, love, unity, spirit, peace, would want to go through and ha have me hammer at you all of these things. Look, there's stuff we can learn from them, and it's appropriate to study the Word. But I'm not here this morning to pound into your head more stuff you need to be doing. What I'm here to tell you is that all of those things are summed up when we join and, and, and link ourselves, come on, to the body of Christ. To Jesus and His body. You need Jesus and you need His body. This whole new modern American idea that, hey, I just need Jesus and that's it, is not found in the Bible. It is not in the Scriptures. It is not holy. It is not sacred. It is not spiritual. It's selfish, self-centered, self-seeking, and sinful. We get a lot of amens there, but I get a few. Yay! Um, we need to understand this. God built us to be with one another. Amen? 
God's number one instrument of grace into your life is other believers. We want to run to an altar and cry, and we want to we want people to lay hands on us and pray for us, and we, we want we want to have some sort of like supernatural experience all by ourselves. And please hear me, sometimes that happens, but the majority of the time, God is going to deliver messages, encouragement, correction, and, and, and uplifting things as well from other believers. The grace that God desires to impart to your life is predominantly going to come through other believers. And when you separate and segregate yourself from those in some vain attempt to try to be uh, seem more spiritual and more able, look, if you're here and you're tired and you're, you're, you're just exhausted, hear me, you don't have to do this alone. You don't have to. You were never meant to. That's why God gave us one another. We're going to talk here in the next few weeks. Uh, actually, starting in, in June, we're going to be looking at specifically how God, what God has built into the local church to equip us and transform us and change us into those people we know we ought to be. Come on. I mean, people are excited for that. I'm excited for it. I'm in pre-studying it, and I'm all giddy. Um, now, here's the problem. There's another group in this room, and I need to talk to you as well. For some of you, you're, you're tired. You're worn out. You're just, I, I didn't feel alone. I feel separated. I, I, maybe, maybe you live here. Maybe you're, you live here, but all your family's somewhere else, or you, you kind of are apart, but you, know, you kind of don't really have a lot of close relationships, and you feel lonely, and I'm, I'm here to tell you, you don't have to do it alone. You don't have to be alone. God does not intend loneliness, come on, for His people. Psalm uh, 68, verse 6, I love this. It says, God places the lonely in families. Come on. But there's another group. You're the type A people in the room. I don't understand you. Um, you're the people who get up before your alarm goes off. It makes sense to me. Um, why God gave us alarms, right? Okay, you're, you're like, you're the driven ones, the ones whose like bootstraps are just worn out because every time you fall over, you just jerk on them and magically you're back up on your feet. When you, 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 you try yourself, you work your fingers to the bone, you're driven, that's you. And so I'm here talking about the worthiness of which you've been called and walking that way and you're going, yeah, I can do it. And here's the truth. It's all the front, you're exhausted as well, and it's just, you're just some, uh, insecure person who's trying to cover up that insecurity with overcompensating. Come on, like a junior hire who forgot to put on his deodorant and just hoping nobody notices, right? That was probably just me in junior high. Those of you who feel alone, you don't have to do it alone. Those of you who feel like you can do it alone, here's the real reality, you can't. You don't have to do it alone, and you can't do it alone. It is impossible for you to fulfill the call of God on the local church by yourself. It, it's just impossible. I, I, I knew a young man, I discipled him for several years, who was, who was truly convinced that if he could just pray enough, be holy enough, and cry out to God loud enough, the whole world would be saved. And you should see the weight that that young man walked under. It wasn't a good thing. It kept him separated, it kept him isolated, and I had to pound into his head, and thankfully he lived in another part of the state, he was plugged into a local church finally, and found a place to serve, and found a place to be amongst believers who have the same faith and passion that he has to see the world one to the Lord, but he can't do it alone. He can't do this alone. You don't have to, and you can't. Paul says walk worthy. The only way you're going to walk worthy is together. Say that again. The only way you're going to walk worthy is together. God has made us to be dependent upon one another. Yes, please hear me. There's a burden we all need to carry on our own. 
This isn't about you somehow being lazy and not doing your part. It's about the fact you do your part with all you have and the rest will be made up when everybody else is doing their part with all they have. You need one another. You can't do it alone. You don't have to do it alone. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not strong enough. People don't like you enough. Come on. It's, it's the reference to anybody young enough to remember it. Well, this isn't about staring in the mirror and chanting to yourself until you somehow, no, you can't do it. Just stop. Well, your good news this morning is stop it. Put it down. Carry the burden God calls you to carry and don't worry about anything else. Can't do it alone. For us, we do need to hear this first word, humility. For those who think you can do it alone, first step in walking worthy is humility. That word humility literally comes from two words. The word in the Greek here comes from two words that means to be low to the ground in the core of yourself. Literally, it means to lay flat on the ground. We need to learn how to, to see ourselves rightly. Come on, somebody. Humility. It's okay to need one another. God built us that way. Amen? For both of you, groups of people, find a church and plant yourself in it. Say that again. Find a church and plant yourself in it. This idea of scattered, once in a while, kind of, no. God gave us the church to help mold us, shape us, and form us into the people He's called us to be. We need a church. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a pastor. It's in the Bible. Okay? We need to be planted. Remember, years and years and years ago, I, was, I used to spend my summers a lot with my grandpa. He was a farmer. lived actually just out, outside of Spokane in St. John. Uh, if you've never been there, it's probably an exit sign for you as you drive toward Seattle from here, the farming community. And, and I asked him, when you, why, why is it you plant these crops in these fields and these crops in these fields and never the other way around? He explained something to me that I think is very important. Each kind of seed is going to grow best in a certain kind of soil because that soil has the right amount of pressure, moisture, and nutrients to feed and to grow that, that particular seed. You see, a seed has to be cracked before it can grow. Wrong kind of soil can either take longer, or it can go too quick and kill the seed, or it can just never germinate. Part of what happens, I've seen this in Christians, is we plant ourselves in a soil, we plant ourselves in a local church, pressure comes, come on somebody, pressure comes, we don't like it, so what do we do? Shoot out of the soil, go find some other soil where we don't get pushed on so hard. And wonder why we're not growing. Please hear me, I'm not talking about that there is times and seasons and you need to find the place God has called you and you need to find that place and plant yourself there. There's seasons of, of where God will call us to one place or another, but, but just hear me, you need to find a place and plant yourself there. Last but not least, verse 7. He says, walk worthy, calling which you've been called. Do it together. Verse 7 starts out with a word that I'm very happy it starts out with. But. But. Grace was given each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Here's what I need us to understand. We each have a unique measure of grace. And so you're called, you're called, you've been given a purpose, 
that you've been called to walk in a way that is, is in, is in agreement, in harmony, we could say, with that purpose. Who would I ever swim, right? Not a legalistic thing, it's just kind of their job. <laughs> we do that together. But here's my worry when we start, when we start going down this road. We forget that God called you uniquely. We're going to start, we're going to end where we started. There's a unique calling on you. When I say that we all have a purpose, come on somebody, that, that is to glorify and magnify God, how God works that in your life and the unique mix of things He places within you is very unique. Let me put it this way. All the nerds in the room are going to be really happy. God doesn't call us to be the board, He calls us to be a body. Yeah, 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 there's like three of you who got that. God doesn't call us to just become mindless drones and copies of one another. He calls us to be a unique, individual, specific member of a core body. Let, let, me, let me illustrate it this way. When, when we as people, and this is why I'm so, I will, I will, with every breath I have, for as long as God gives me, I will speak against religion and confuse the snot out of a lot of Christians. Because religion is humanistic. So what religion does in this is like this. When, when man seeks to transform water and give it solidity, come on, that's, that's a good analogy to what we're trying to do here. Take our wishy-washy, fuzzy-wuzzy, not able to build on lives, come on, and try to bring solidity to them. When man does it, right? What do we use? We use this. We use ice cube trays. We make carbon copies of one another. Specifically identical. I think I have a picture of some. Ice cubes, right? That's what we do. That's the best we got. My brother gets really angry at me every time he comes into my house because we don't make ice in our house really ever because my wife's Hawaiian and always wants to be hot. And so um, we never have ice. He's mad. So I found this. So Matt, if you're listening to the podcast, which you do a lot, I found a nice day. Um, what we do. This is the best thing we can do. But what does God do when he forms ice? Make snowflakes. Everyone unique. Everyone different. Look, they're all ice, right? It's all, it's all the same stuff. But the way God forms you, the way God makes you, is going to be unique. I don't want us to miss out. When, if we're about to go into this, this portion of Scripture, I need us to hear this. Yes, we're called to, to be one together. Yes, we're called to be body. But I love that God says this here. He says, look, look, we're one body, one faith, one Lord, one God. We're all one together. But there's a unique grace that He's given you. Don't lose that. Bad, okay? Really weird. I have some family members involved in some of this stuff. It's just really weird. Really weird when we all try to be the same. My goal is not to make us all the same. My goal is to allow the very presence and spirit of God to form us and fashion us into the unique people that He's called us to be. And I don't get how we can all be exposed. I don't get how water can all be exposed to the same cold and turn into a unique snowflake. I don't get it. I don't get how we can all uniquely be a part of one body and yet come out different, but God does it. And our goal is to just be a part and create an atmosphere where that can happen. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. As a church, for those of you who are visiting with us, we reserve a portion of our service at the end to enter back into worship. It's important to us as a people to respond to what God has said to us. For me, it comes out of a, a, a passion. I was reading, a, a, I don't remember which one it was, but a, a biography of Martin Luther, the reformer, not the activist. <laughs> uh, Martin Luther, the, the great reformer. And he said something that struck me. 
said the life of a believer is a life of repentance. It is appropriate for us to respond to God when He speaks to us. So as a church, we have kind of made it our culture to respond to God in a few ways. We enter back into worship. We encourage you, invite you to be a part of that. Press back into Him individually. Again, this is one of those things for us. It's a very individual thing. Respond to God if there's areas in your life that you need to open up to Him and give Him access to. I would encourage you to do that as we worship and press into Him. Another way that we have chosen to remember our oneness and to remember also the great sacrifice and the price that God paid that we might be called by Him, that we might be transformed by Him as we partake of communion to week together as a people. We do it by a method known as impeachment. There's pieces of bread here and a cup of grape juice. Don't worry if you're grape juice. Uh-huh. You take a piece of bread, dip them in the cup, and partake individually. And you can do that as you feel led as we worship. I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to enter back into worship together. Holy Spirit, we come to you today. Once again, grateful that you've spoken to us. And I trust that in the midst of all the words spoken that your voice has been heard by those that you were speaking to. And I pray that in them right now you would deposit as you are so faithful to the, the faith and the grace needed to respond in the way that you called them to respond. God, there's areas in our life where we have built up walls to try to keep ourselves separated and segregated. Would you break those down right now? If there's, if there's an attitude in our heart that says, I don't need a body, would you? Break it down right now. If there's a, if there's a isolation and a loneliness, would you shine a ray of hope into that heart that they don't have to do life alone? They don't have to raise their kids alone. They don't have to try to figure out life alone. They don't have to struggle alone, but they can do it together with others struggling in the same way. And somehow, as we together, they find you. Well, my greatest prayer and cry this morning is that we would not forget you in the midst of this. That as we, as we seek to open our hearts to you, we wouldn't miss you. But that we would remember that it is you and you alone that serve as the foundation, the rock under which our life is built. You are the one who called us. You are the one that has formed us. You are the one that has fashioned us. You are the one that makes us. You are the one who will change us. 